Welcome again to the Sustainable Futures Report. It's Wednesday the 3rd of May and I'm Anthony Day. The consumer is king or queen when it comes to choosing purchases on the basis of environmental credentials. In a moment, I'm going to talk to Tim Clover, who knows about these things. Just before that, let me catch up on a couple of points. First of all, I've been fortunate to receive a copy of that book I mentioned last week, How to Blow Up a Pipeline. When I've read it, I'll come back to you and comment on it in more detail. As I mentioned, the film has just come out, although on very limited release, and that has led George Monbiot to write a review of the book which I'll share with you as well. The other news which broke today is that Geoffrey Hinton has left Google, where he was one of the principal developers of AI, like ChatGPT and so on. He warns that there could be dangers from artificial intelligence. He told the BBC some of the dangers of AI chatbots were quite scary. Right now, they're not more intelligent than us, as far as I can tell, but I think they soon may be, he said. Didn't I say something like that a couple of episodes ago? Now let's talk about consumer choices. The cost of living is focusing everybody's mind, but it seems that people are still making very clear choices about what they want to buy and what they don't want to buy. Well, my guest today is Tim Clover. He's founder and CEO at Glow, which is a consumer research technology company. We're going to talk about customer choices. We're going to talk specifically about how environmental, social and governance issues, ESG, how they actually influence customer choices. Now, Tim, I would have thought that the overriding uh, incentive for people making choices at the moment is the cost of living, because that seems to be hurting people worldwide. Hi, Anthony. Pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me on the show today. Um, You're right. Uh, Cost of living is putting serious pressure on people's wallets. Um, and obviously, the ebb and flow of the economic environment um, does come into play differently through time. Um, uh, it is a significant concern for people. Uh, and, and obviously, uh, making sure that we can make ends meet is going to be a primary need for most people. But you do detect uh, an influence from ESG, from environmental issues. Uh, and And, well... Tell me more. Well, it's 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 interesting. Regardless of the economic situation, um, consumers and that's you and I. Um, you know, we're all just people who buy stuff and uh, and want to feel good about the things we buy. Um, are increasingly, you know, working out amongst the need to manage cost of living uh, and to buy. You know, the value lines that we need to buy to make ends meet. We're also trying to find opportunities to trade up um, uh, the conscience component of our of our spend so that we can at least not feel terrible about the purchases we're making. Um, and I think that gives, what we're seeing is that gives brands a chance to work out um, the level of trading down that is likely to happen and that we're observing, um, but also trading down um, perhaps on price, but, but not necessarily trading down on um, some of the environmental um, or societal impacts that brands can make. Are we talking about white goods, about big ticket items, about the daily shop, or are we look, looking right across the board at all sorts of uh, consumer purchase decisions? 
Well, that's a, a very good question, um, which we asked when we came up with the social responsibility score. So we we wanted to come up with or use or define a metric that would hold across multiple industries. And obviously in going through the experimentation phase of developing this metric, um, we've had to sort of work out whether or not it's salient and, and can be uh, transferred across adjacent categories and uh, industries and sectors. So yes, it, it, this is this metric itself, it, it holds across um, you know, financial services, it holds across um, food and grocery, retail, um, you know, white goods, electronic goods, um, all sorts of different sectors that we didn't think that it would, but but people have an opinion. And I guess when you ask enough people, and you know, we use quantitative research methods to capture the data we capture, but you ask lots of people in lots of countries, a consistent um, set of questions um, on this topic, then the results are surprisingly similar. Like we see um we we see that people see food and grocery brands as at the forefront of leading um, from an industry perspective um and taking responsibility for environmental um societal um programs and trying to sort of i suppose lead industry at the back end you see sort of think you know back betting and gambling companies um social media doesn't do particularly well you start to looking at that, look at that industry leaderboards and food and grocery is at the, at the leading edge right and are we talking about big brands here exclusively or are um smaller enterprises smaller shops and and maybe hospitality where the offering is is uh, um is diver um, comes from quite a lot of uh smaller independence so do we do we see it at the smaller end as well as the the, the global brands it, it looks like it holds across all brands, brands of all sizes. The, the difference, of course, is that the bigger the brand, the bigger the share they command, the more they've got to win or lose when it comes to consumer, you know, consumer choices. Um, it, where you look at food and grocery type brands, they, whether they're big or small, you see some really strong purpose-driven brands coming through and disrupting categories with a with purpose built into their brand agenda. Um, you know, we see companies like Who Gives a Crap, uh, toilet paper company coming yeah. in and um, significantly disrupting, um, not just with their, you know, the, the home delivery model, but also with their, the fact that they give half their profits to um, create water solutions in the developing world. So these sort of purpose-built purpose, purpose built businesses are doing really well to disrupt. Um, you see, for food and grocery, you can walk into a store and make a different decision at the shelf day on day. So it's probably something that is a continuous narrative um, that needs to be provided to the consumers about what's being done, which is different perhaps from a car brand where you buy a new car every 10 years. So, you know, the, the, you know, the point of purchase and the size of purchase varies, you know, the friction to move it's more difficult to change bank account than it is to pick a different chocolate bar. So yes, there's, yeah. There's different. There's all sorts of dynamics going on around the um, the path to purchase, but we are seeing consistency in, in in the application of the metric in multiple industries, and we are seeing that for large and for small businesses, um, there's a consideration from the consumer perspective of of whether or not that business is meeting the responsibilities or expectations of the public. 
So how are these organizations actually demonstrating their green credentials, their ESG status to their target consumers? Is it social media? Is it print advertising uh, or um, radio or com television commercials? What are they doing? Or is it all those things? It's it, it's surprisingly it's 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 all of those things, and it's a uh, an awful lot of noise with not a lot of signal from what we can see. So there's there's businesses realizing that sustainability has become an important um, agenda item, not just for investors, but also through their employees, uh, and also then through to their customers and their future customers. They hope. So getting that message out in the right way and competing with marketing agendas around launching new products and promoting um, promoting uh, products you know, through different channels is a difficult one for the sustainability teams to sort of fight and barrack for. So they, they find it quite difficult to, to get paid advertising to support um, messaging around key programs that they're running. So there's this, com this magic combination where you're trying to find the right channel to tell the right story but what we do see is that the right channel usually isn't a 200 page sustainability report that's sat somewhere at the back of your website <laughs> yeah yeah fair enough how honest are these companies are these brands being are they just telling a good story or are they telling the truth because greenwashing is everywhere um and do you come across that um we <laughs> There's a temptation to greenwash, um, and I think sometimes it's it's misplaced optimism for what the brand's about. So, for example, you might have a marketing team who understand that the brand has a, a passion to try and reduce its impact and therefore want to be able to put that into the messaging. And they're maybe lazy about the way they do that. They don't back it up with good data. They don't follow, you know, you know the processes they should follow to make sure they're not exposing the brand to risk and obviously with social media what it, where it is if you put a foot wrong then you're going to be in the spotlight for all the wrong reasons uh and that news spreads like wildfire um so sometimes i think it's laziness other times if you're cynical you can say well brands are actively attempting to mislead um however i think increasingly that's going to be more difficult just with again the ubiquity of information on the topic of ESG and more and more websites popping up and tools popping up that allow you to dig in a bit more around what brands are actually doing. I think that greenwashing has probably had its day. Um, I think that the bigger concern that we see is more around green whispering, actually. It's, it's, there are some brands out there doing fantastic work who are worried about greenwashing, um, who have invested millions of dollars pounds or other currencies into trying to clean up their act and do the right thing you know through their supply chains with their employees with their you know, making their businesses better businesses but they don't know how to tell that story they don't know where to tell it when to tell it who, who to tell it to which customers or stakeholders want to hear about which programs are running it's quite a complex um you know set of i guess communications to manage so often they just don't say anything they'll dive brilliant work that's happening inside the organization but a concern perhaps say if you're a dairy company with the fact that you feel that you're going to get hauled over the coals because cows produce a lot of methane um so it doesn't matter how much plastic you take out you still got this fundamental supply chain issue of 
the cow. Um, so trying to explain to people the journey you're on, uh, be honest that you're not perfect, um, make sure that you're clear and um, concise in the right media with the right information for those who want to find out more, um, tends to do brands pretty well. When you get to the energy companies and particularly in Australia, when you get to the mining companies, they've got a very, very difficult story to tell. Um, can they manage it or do they just keep their heads down because um, everything they do is really the antithesis of, of green, isn't it? Mm. That, it? That leads to a, an interesting path of discussion, I think. Um, uh, when you start moving further up the supply chain, so if you, you start talking about mining, you know, we all use, most of us use personal devices, laptops, um, TVs, you know, these contain copper and other vital elements that are required. And the mining companies are doing a good job of saying that, you know, it's essential that we do mine in order to provide you with the things that you use. But it's also essential that we do it in a way that is respectful um, uh, for the planet, that, allow, you know, that we clean up after ourselves, that we do the things we need to do. Um, but ultimately, as a consumer, you're not buying from the mining company. You're buying from the people who use that mining company to source their components. Um, the risk for the mining company, which is, you know, it's a similar um, abstraction of risk for, for example, a professional services business. You know, for mining companies, it's about trying to make sure that you're uh, able to show governments and investors that you're doing the right thing, that you're worthy of the contracts you're winning, that you're worthy of the investment, and you're not going to go and destroy the environment with that. Um, and building a track record of that is going to be key. If you're running a professional services organization, it's all about people. So you're going to be thinking, well, I, I want my future employees to want to come and work for me because um, you know, we have ethics built into the way we do business. Um, whereas for consumer goods companies, you know, they're at the cold face of, you know, the billions of us to go out and buy every day. Um, and, uh, and obviously they've got more risk through a bigger set of stakeholders who they need to manage through the, um, the communications process. Right. So where do we go from here? Are you seeing winners and losers or has everybody got onto the... You've run your investment programs until um, you've made the impact of the changes you want to make and that you've communicated them because if you don't communicate them you will have made the change you will have had uh, an impact uh, but you won't be benefiting as an organization which means that your sustainability program itself won't be sustainable it should be able to pay for itself through more investors through better teams and talent and employees through more customers if you do it properly so if you want to create a self-funding esg program then communicate it um, and measure the fact that you're, um, you know, the people that's resonating with the people to whom you're um, you're pitching the various programs you're running. Tim, that's been very interesting. Before we go, I have to ask you the question I ask most people at the end of the interview. Looking at the big picture, the the global picture, um, are you optimistic for our future? I am optimistic for our future um, amongst the, the disruption that we're seeing um, uh, and without going into a diatribe about our current economic model um, and some of the um, 
uh, geopolitical situation that we find ourselves in at the moment. But if you look at the um, you know, the general sense of can we do this, there is a strong belief that we can turn the, we can um, uh, turn the direction of the ship. Um, I think this is unlikely to come really from government. I think all of us play a part. The, the, I think if governments legislate in the right way um, and are able to hold businesses that are otherwise less ESG um, aligned to account, then I think there'll be a larger cohort of businesses that will just act in order to benefit commercially from being good businesses. So I think that naturally will just play out um, through the, you know, the way that the free markets work. Um, and I think as consumers, we have a role to play, but increasingly, as you talk to people, um, as I said, that that tide is rising around a general sense that we all need to play our part. So I feel I feel confident that we can turn the ship. Um, I um, I think we probably need a little bit of luck to do it in time, not to have certain things kick in, such as the two degrees of uh, um, global warming, and to have to deal with the millennia millennia of um, disruption that that will cause. But I think we can we can turn the ship, and the, the world's there to do it. Well, Tim, thank you. That's that's good to hear. That was Tim Clover, founder and CEO at Glow, a consumer research technology company. Thanks again, Tim. Thanks for being with us. Thanks, Anthony. You can find out more at glowfeed.com. That's G-L-O-W-F-E-E-D.com. That's it for this week. And, of course, there will be another Sustainable Futures Report next week. I hope you enjoyed your bank holiday on Monday, and if you're in the UK, I hope you'll enjoy another one next Monday. In the meantime, of course, King Charles III will be crowned. I'm sure there's a very great deal to be said about the whole institution of monarchy, but that's not the purpose of the Sustainable Futures Report. However, if you'd ever like to meet me in a pub sometime, I'll be more than happy to debate the issue with you. So that's it for this week. I'm Anthony Day. Until next time.